0: Today's scripture reading comes from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard, so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles, and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will, the word of the Lord. Good
1: morning, everyone. My name is Eric. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I would love to. Yeah, I'm the pastor here at Trinity. Last week was the official start of Advent. And it worked out. If you were here last week, you know that we had a guest preacher, Derek Rishmawi, who's campus minister uh, with RUF, and he's one of our missions partners at UC Irvine. So it worked out because he led us through Luke chapter 1, specifically what we would call the Christmas part of the Apostles' Creed, the summary uh, of what we believe as Christians. And that's the part that says conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He didn't realize it was Family Sunday and that he'd be covering the topics of conception and virginity for kids, uh, kindergarten all the way up. But uh, he handled it well. He handled it well. And those are both crucial pieces of the Christmas story. But for the rest of the Advent season, we'll be looking at the, f- the first four chapters of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. And the title for the series, very simple. Uh, There it is, up on the PowerPoint there, Jesus, God, and Man. And here it is on the cover, too. And you can look at this cover. I'm very proud of this cover because my son uh, designed this this year. We took some old artwork we had, and uh, we did that uh, this week. Uh, So, Jesus, God, and Man. You could say that this is... The message of Christmas in four words. Jesus, God, and man. And the idea for this series came to me when we were reading through Hebrews in our church Bible reading plan. We call it CBR, quick plug, CBR. Join us and read the Bible with us. But we were reading Hebrews at the beginning of November, and two things struck me as I was reading these first four chapters in the book of Hebrews. One... These chapters may be the longest, most direct, and most theologically rich reflection in the whole Bible on this core teaching, on these four words, Jesus, God, and man. And so I said, this is rich, this is deep theology, but at the same time as I was reading these chapters, I realized these are maybe the four most direct and practical chapters in the Bible where we are told, why does it matter? Why does it matter that this is true? Jesus is God and man. There are four so that's in those chapters. So if you're reading those four chapters, you'll see the phrase so that appear four different times. In chapter 2, verse 1, that's what we're going to look at today. In chapter 2, verse 9, chapter 2, verse 17, and again in 4, verse 16. Those so that's are when the author of Hebrews is taking this, Jesus, God, and man, he's saying, so what? Here's the difference that it makes. And those are the four different things we're going to look at this Advent season, including Christmas Eve. So I want to share with you these four topics, and I do want to apologize up front because I do I do love Christmas. I've said that before. It is my favorite holiday. I love that Christmas is cozy and comfy and there's lights and Christmas trees and chestnuts roasting over an open fire. I don't know what a chestnut is, but it sounds so comfortable and cozy. I don't know if I want to eat it though. There are, you know, there's peace on earth and all that good stuff, but this series won't be cozy. We got a catalog this week in the mail, Christmas catalog. And on the cover, there were all these people in pajamas, and there was like pillows everywhere, and they had hot chocolate. It was just like this super cozy cover. And I love that. And I wish life was like that, (laughs) that we could all just snuggle in pillows (laughs) in our pajamas, you know, and that's all we would have to do and worry about. But life isn't like that. It's much more messy. There's a lot more going on. There's a lot more gravitas to being a human being in a broken world. What's going on inside of us and what's going on all around us needs a lot more than just, let's just go into a room full of pillows (laughs) with our pajamas. And Christmas brings that gravitas. And these four chapters in the book of Hebrews bring the weighty truth, Jesus is God and man, to the weight of the things that we experience as human beings in this world. Here's what we'll be covering. Number one, Christmas for the drifters. That's today, we live in a time when there's a lot of drifting away happening. A lot of drifting away from the church. A lot of drifting away from Christianity. A lot of drifting away from Jesus. What does Christmas have to say to that? We'll we'll talk about that today. But the next three messages will be, secondly, Christmas for the dying. And sorry to be very somber, but that is all of us. Don't put that on your Christmas card. It is a downer. But Christmas speaks to those who are dying and to those who deal in a world, deal with life in a world of death. Christmas for the suffering and the unique temptations that come to us when we suffer. Christmas, uh, on Christmas Eve, we'll be talking about Christmas for the weak and the needy what none of us want to be known as, but what all of us are. So Hebrews chapters 1 through 4 teaches that if it is true that Jesus is God and man, if Christmas is true, then we do have something we can hold on to. We have something we can grab onto and endure and press on with great hope. Even when we're drifting, even in a world where there is death, no matter what suffering we are going through, and no matter how weak we feel. That's what we're going to talk about. And we need the theology and the truth, and we need to know the difference it makes. So this morning, for the introduction here, this morning we are looking at Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, and 2, 1 through 4. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, that's the introduction to the whole letter. This letter is actually more like a sermon. So this is the introduction to this sermon that is the letter to the Hebrews, and the introduction teaches the theology of Christmas, and then two, one through four, there it's in your bulletin, is the first so that, the practical difference a theology can make in our lives. So number one, we're going to look at the problem of drifting. Let's start there. That's the problem that this letter or this sermon was written to address. It's there in chapter two, verse one. If you want to, circle it, and that'll help you follow along, so that we will not drift away. Everything written in chapter 1, and really everything in the letter of Hebrews, was written because of this problem that the author saw happening in this church. Drifting. What is drifting? What is he talking about? Well, he uses this. Nautical word, this word of the oceans and seafaring and sea vessels. It's used of a ship that drifts past its harbor and misses it, misses its destination, or when a ship becomes unanchored and it's just swept away by the currents and the winds. This was the problem that led to the writing of the letter of Hebrews. This church was in danger of drifting. Many were drifting, of being carried along by currents and winds all around them, and even inside them, and they were drifting away from God. At that image of drifting in water, it helps us get a picture of what was actually what, what was happening, what this looks like, and what can happen in our own lives. Have you ever gone to the beach and you set up your umbrella and whatever? Right there, you've got your blanket set up, and you go, I'm going into the water. It's time to go into the water. And you're swimming in the water. You're doing your thing. And if there's any kind of current or undertow, after about 15 or 20 minutes, you look back at, at the sand, and you go, where's my umbrella? <laughs> like, where, where am I? How did I get so far away from where I entered into the water? And Hebrews is saying, this can happen with us in God. It does happen. We're living life, we're going about things, we're doing things, and one day something causes us to take an honest look at where we are in our relationship with God and we realize, wow, I've drifted. How might this happen? Verse 3 tells us, through neglect. The author says, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. Neglect means becoming apathetic, right? It means not giving time or attention or focus to something. And sometimes we say about a relationship that we have, like a friendship or even a marriage, where we say, we just drifted apart, right? If we're trying to describe When we say this, we're trying to describe how we're not close to someone. We don't feel connected to someone. And we're trying to describe it in such a way that no one's to blame, right? We just drifted apart over time. And I understand why we do that, but isn't that really kind of just a cop-out? We just drifted apart really means one or both of the people in that relationship neglected the other person, that we didn't give energy or time or focus or access to ourselves, of ourselves, to the person, to the relationship. But it's hard to see when this is happening, when we're drifting apart because of neglect, because it happens slowly, slowly over time in very small steps. Maybe there's a part of your yard. If you have a yard in your house, it's kind of in the corner. Maybe it's out of the reach of sprinklers and you're like, well, no one's gonna worry about that. No one's gonna see that. We'll just let it be. And, you know, after a while, over time, if you just let it be, it becomes overgrown the only thing that grows there are weeds, it's hardened, it's compact soil, and it's dead because of neglect. And so my Christian friends and my church family, Trinity, this is challenging for us. But the book of Hebrews here up front and throughout wants us to ask this question, am I drifting? Or is An author I read read, uh, this week put it to consider this. What do you need to do to have a dead and discouraged Christian life? Nothing. Just do nothing and neglect it. Now, there's a nuance here that's so important for all of us to consider when it comes to knowing what neglect looks like. I find it very significant here that the author of Hebrews does not say so that you will not drift away. He says, so that we may not drift away. Now, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. It's a mystery. We don't know. But we do know this, that whoever it is is brilliant. This letter is recognized as a very sophisticated uh, piece of literature, but a piece of, uh, of Rhetoric, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's a great speech. <laughs> it would have been recognized as a great speech in, according to the standards of the time. So this guy, this person was brilliant. Secondly, they knew the Bible very, very well, down to the, the, the most smallest of details. Thirdly, they're very active in ministry. They were writing to this church because they were a leader in the early church. And there are places when the author talks directly to this this church and he he calls them out directly and says, you. One of the examples is later in chapter 3 when he says, watch out, brothers and sisters, that there won't be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart. But here he says, we. The point is, I think for all of us, no one is beyond the danger of drifting. People who write books about Jesus can drift while they're writing books about Jesus. People can preach. This is sobering for me. People who know and study the Bible a lot can drift. People who are active in Christian leadership can be drifting. How and why? That doesn't seem like neglect. And the answer here, which I'm taking to heart very personally as I was studying this this week, is that it's possible to pay attention to theology, to the Bible. You can pay attention to the Bible. You can pay attention to ministry. You can pay attention to talking about Jesus and doing a lot for him. All the while, not paying attention to Jesus while losing sight of him altogether and drifting further and further away from God. It's very sobering. But this letter says it's very possible. Another application for some of you to consider during these past two years, it hasn't been the easiest two years for anybody. A few people I know have said, hey, I've experienced like a renewal in my relationship with God. I feel vibrant and alive. Maybe that's some of you here today, but more people that I know, pastors, Christians, people who are very serious and active in their faith, have Dealt very seriously with some level of drifting happening. Some level of drifting between them and God. They're finding themselves feeling further away from God. And that might be you right now. You can know a lot. You can be active. Have all your theology set. But feel like you've drifted. Similarly, right now, I know a lot of people, I would say the word I'm using here as I observe this is people are renegotiating their relationship to the church, to Christianity, to Jesus. For a lot of reasons, you know, COVID and in-person gatherings, some out of the habit, um, some because the way that we see churches or leaders align themselves with causes or with perspectives that we see completely out of alignment with who we know and what we know of Jesus. And so we struggle with that. Some have been hurt by the church. And so find themselves drifting. What I want you to hear is this. This letter, the letter of the book of Hebrews, was preached to, was written for people who are struggling like this. People who had drifted to the point of saying, I don't know if it's worth it anymore. To be a Christian, to even try to participate in the life of the church. They were hardened, they were weary, they were discouraged, and that might be some of you here. I would guess, based on my experience, that at some level, almost all of us can identify a little bit with that. That's the problem the problem that Hebrews was written to address. What is the remedy? What is the remedy then to the problem of drifting? Look at verse 2, chapter 2, verse 1 again. He says, we must pay attention all the more. This is the remedy. Pay attention all the more to what? To what we have heard. And we say, wow, that's the remedy? This is a big problem. I am drifting. You're not saying I need to learn something new. I don't need to take Christianity advance for serious Christians. You're not even telling me right here to stop my sinful habits and decisions and choices or to get my act together and make the right New Year's resolutions and to get my spiritual life in order. No, the remedy is pay all the more attention to what you've already heard about Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1 begins with these words, for this reason, therefore, for this reason, we must pay attention. What's the reason? What is the reason we must pay attention all the more to what we've already heard? He's saying we don't need something new. We need to pay closer, more fuller, more deeper attention to what we've already heard. And the reason is given in chapter 1, beginning with the first four verses that we read. And the summary is this. The reason we pay all the more attention to Jesus is because God has spoken to us by his son. The first four verses there, if you look at that, chapter one, there's a lot there. It's a big paragraph. It's all one big sentence in the original language. But it's all built around that one main sentence. God has spoken to us by his son. What this is saying is, What God wants to say to us, what God wants to say to you, to the world, he has said finally. He has said definitively in Jesus. If you truly understand what he has spoken, if you are really paying attention more and more to Jesus, this is saying it will draw you back close. Even when you feel like you've drifted far away. Now in these four verses right here at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, we have what the author has done is taken a lot of what he's going to unpack in detail over 12 chapters and he's taking it and he's making it into the strongest dose up front. He's saying, I'm gonna concentrate it. I'm gonna make it as strong as possible and I'm gonna put it in one sentence here. And in this one sentence... What I want to show you is, yes, you've already heard it, but have you really heard it? Look at what he does. Verse 1, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. This includes all the ways God has spoken, revealed himself prior to the coming of Jesus, visions, prophets, commands, mighty acts in the history and the story of the people of Israel. These were written, these were recorded and given to us in the Old Testament. Verse two, in these last days, meaning at the culmination of the story, at the highest point, at the very centerpiece, in this last and final chapter of God's plan to show himself to us, to reveal who he is. He has spoken to us by his son, Jesus. Verse two, B, second part, God has appointed him. The heir of all things. What does that mean? The heir, this is royal language, is the one who gets the throne, the one who gets to rule. This is where the story ends. All things under the rule of Jesus. Moving forward, he made the universe through him. Well, that's a pretty big deal (laughs) to make the universe 93 billion light years across. That's one estimate of how vast the universe is. The story ends with all things under the rule of Jesus. The story begins with Jesus creating the entire universe. That's pretty big. Verse 3. He's the radiance of God's glory. What does that mean, radiance? It means that Jesus is the shining forth The brightness of the very beauty of the character of the God who made all things. If you want to see who God is and all of his shining brightness and beauty, that's Jesus. Moving forward. He is the exact representation of his nature. Uh, The word there, representation, is the Greek word character, We get the word character from the word character. It's used to refer, it was used at the time to refer to the impression of an image minted onto a coin. So in Jesus, as it were, you see God pressed into a person, a human person so much that if you want to see what God is like, what God would do, we can say, just look to Jesus. That's exactly who God is. That is exactly what God would do. Jesus provides the true and trustworthy picture of the person of God. Now, a little bit of a side note, but contrary to how we sometimes think or hear, Jesus is not the nice version of God, or the gracious version of God, or the loving version of God, and the other version of God, say in the Old Testament, was the more harsh or judgmental version. What this is saying, combining what God said long ago to what he's saying in Jesus, is that Jesus is what God has been saying all along, from eternity past. It's who God is right now. It's who he will always be. Jesus is what God has been trying to say to us. It's what Jesus is what God has been trying to tell the human race from the very beginning. Jesus is not saying something different. He's saying it perfectly, perfectly, clearly, finally. We won't get to cover verses 5 through 14, what they are are seven different quotations from the Old Testament saying this very thing. This is the one whom God speaks to us perfectly, and it's shown throughout the Old Testament. Last part I want to focus on right now, sustaining all things by his powerful word. What upholds everything in existence is the powerful word of Jesus. So Jesus, who is one with, equal to, yet also distinct from the Father as the Son, was born into our world at Christmas. There it is. That's where Christmas comes in. There are a lot of sentences in the Bible But if this one sentence is true, Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4, and if you believe it is true, there we have the remedy for drifting. Then if you're not a Christian and if you have questions about Jesus and you're trying to figure it all out, there in this sentence, if it is true, you have the very starting point to consider. All the other stuff, don't let it distract you. Consider this to believe in the message of Christmas, Jesus, God, and man. If it is true, because it is true, I can stand here this morning and say, and I've been excited to say this to you all week, I can say it with confidence and with joy and before God Himself. There's a lot in the Bible, there's a lot of complexity. To life. So for me to stand up here and say, let me speak into your problems, let me speak into your is- issues, it is something I feel just a lot of trembling and fear and say, I got to get this right, but here, I know this is right, no matter what you're facing. If you want to know what God is saying to you, if you want to know what God is like, If you want to know his heart, if you want him to speak into your questions and your struggles, whatever it is that you are facing, if you want to personally connect with the God who made all things, if you you feel discouraged or disillusioned or very far from God, here is what I can say to you. Pay all the more attention to Jesus. Go deeper into him. This is the remedy. The author of Hebrews is saying, the reason you're drifting is that through neglect and distraction, you have drifted into a vastly reduced view of Jesus. And I am writing to you to expand and recover for you the true view of who Jesus is. And they needed to be reminded of this the reason we drift is through neglect and distraction we drift into a vastly reduced view of Jesus we need to be reminded of who he is and Christmas is an incredible time to do this so application if we're bored with Jesus whether maybe you're just considering him and you're like that's kind of interesting this guy Jesus it's kind of something to think about if you have been around church your whole life and you say Jesus I've heard it isn't that the answer to every question in Sunday school etc if you are bored with Jesus and you have no idea who Jesus is how can you be bored with the radiance of God's glory how can we be bored with the exact expression of the nature of the God of the universe who made everything and who sustains everything by his powerful word. How can we say, I'm bored, I've heard it all? I can be boring up here preaching. We can be boring in how we talk about Jesus. We can think we've got Jesus all figured out and we're guarding, guarding our little constructed, personally or culturally constructed version of Jesus. But here, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that is described in this one sentence, how could we, if this is true, say that is boring? That I've already figured that out, that I've heard enough about that. That's impossible. And here's why the message of Christmas is not a sentimental, sweet, sweet, kind of baby in the manger kind of a thing. But very serious. Very serious, but profoundly hopeful and encouraging. I just visited a very new baby last night, and she was so cute and so sweet and just so, you know, just like so, oh, you know, that's so cute of a moment. But the baby we're talking about when it comes to the season of Christmas is God speaking to us. God speaking to us in his final and his fullest word. And so the application is pay attention. Pay attention to him. There's nothing more important. If the coach of a team during the pregame speech, you know, the coaches do the, the pregame speech, and it's the championship game, and the coach is saying, All right. This is the game plan. This is your part in the game plan. Everybody has to do their part. We have to execute perfectly to win this championship. And the coach is finished. And you say, raise your hand. Coach, I wasn't paying attention. What did you say? you You might lose your spot on the team to play in the championship game, or, or to switch the illustration. If the CEO of your company, whoever is the boss, you hold a meeting, this is a, this is a crucial time in the company. This is a crucial time in the workplace. It is make it or break it time. Here is what everybody has to do. Now let's go out and do it. Excuse me, boss, I wasn't paying attention. What did you say? Fired, (laughs) right? The author of Hebrews says, How will you escape if you neglect such a great salvation? If we are even just a little bit familiar with the story of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. If we have grown up in the church and we've heard about Jesus, his life, his birth, his death, and resurrection. if we are reading it just at face value, looking at the gospels, looking at what the apostles say, the significance of who Jesus is and what he's done, there is no way we can say, that's not that great. Hebrews is saying, how can you neglect this great salvation? The only way that we can say, no, I'm not interested in that. That doesn't mean anything to me as if it is not true. But the claims of the Christian faith, the person of Jesus Christ, what it says in the Bible, in the Gospels of who he is, what he said, what he did, the significance of his death and resurrection, the only reason to reject it, to neglect it, is because it's too great. To be true? How can it be true that God is Jesus? And that in Jesus, He has come to remedy not just our drifting, but every single part of our broken, damaged, hurt, and wandering souls? The only way to reject it is too great to be true. A few final thoughts. Last point. Okay. If that's the remedy, pay all the more attention to Jesus. How do we do that so that we don't drift away? What does that look like? Do I just read this over and over and over again and put it on repeat in the car and just play it? That would be helpful. But is that, what, is that what we do? How do we get the remedy into our souls? I was reading about one of the new COVID treatments coming out. And I just saw it said, you have to take 30 pills over five days. I was like, oh, man, I don't like taking pills. I don't have to do that. That's a lot of pills. But they're saying it's a very effective treatment. You know, like 80, high 80s or 90%. But only if you follow the regimen, if you take the remedy in. There are two thoughts here about how we get this remedy into our souls so we don't drift. And if we are drifting, so we draw back near. Two words, attention and purification. Attention. Hebrew says, pay all the more attention. And so the application for you to consider, for me to consider, where is my attention? Hebrews is saying, if your attention is on the wrong things, secondary things, you will eventually drift away. And I want to be careful here because the implications of what God has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, they reach into every single part of life. So there is application. There are implications that we need to think through carefully and give careful attention to. But there is a difference as to what deserves our greatest attention, more and more and more and always and deeper, and what is secondary. We live at a time in human history where our attention is the most divided, We have access to all, everything we'd ever want to know. And there's more distraction. There's more entertainment than ever. There's more access to news and things that are going on. There's a constant flow of controversy. There are issues that do matter, issues that do matter to Jesus that we're trying to figure out and navigate. And we know everybody's disagreeing and there's so much tension. And so for many of us, we get caught up in some of that or in all of that. And our attention is devoted to figuring out what am I supposed to think? Or our attention is just scrolling endlessly on Twitter. What are other people saying? What's happening on Facebook? However it might be, our attention is more divided than ever. And yes, some of us are called to serve Jesus in those specific issues and think hard about those things. But this passage is telling us, without having our attention, our primary heart attention fixed on Jesus all the more deeper and deeper, if our attention is even on good things, important things, if they are secondary, we will end up drifting away and we won't have the perspective, we won't have the closeness with Jesus that we need to be a presence of grace and salt and light in those issues. If you are drifting because of distraction, and ask yourself, where's my attention, and how can I focus my attention more and more on Jesus to make it even more practical? There is a place for all of us to ask, what's my plan? to listen to the Bible. God, this is saying, has spoken long ago and he spoke to us in Jesus. That's a summary of the whole Bible. He's saying this is how you get in touch with the person of Jesus in the scriptures that are about him. We should all have a plan. We should all have a plan to listen and take it in. And I would recommend CBR, but we'll talk about that more later. If you're drifting because of damage and hurt that you've experienced in the church, I just want to share this. Yesterday, I was listening to someone describe a very painful church experience. One that if you listen to, you would say, I understand if they never go to church again. And they were saying it was so hard for them to disentangle what they experienced and the damage that was caused to them from the person of Jesus. But they said, I stuck with it. There was a lot I had to disentangle. There was a lot I had to pull away and to say that has nothing to do with Jesus. But what this person said was at the end of the day, where am I at now? Jesus is so compelling. It's Jesus that I had to run back to. And so, if that is you, we can pay attention to the failures of the church and Christians. And if we look for that, it won't be hard to find. And it is tragic and it is difficult and it is painful, but I would urge you and call you to focus your attention on Jesus. More could be said about that, but I wanna just close with this final thought. That's purification. It's there also in chapter one, verse three, and continue on in verse four. When we feel far from God, when we, we drifted far, and when it hits us and we realize, and maybe we're realizing it today, I'm far, I've drifted. Our first instinct is to feel bad, to feel guilty, to feel ashamed and unworthy. And we think, I've got to do better. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to pray. I've got to do something. And the thing about that is that reaction will always end up making us feel more distant. What this is saying is the heir and the ruler of all things who made the universe the radiance and the brightest beauty of God's glory, the exact expression of God's nature himself who sustains your life, who has created your life and holds you up by his powerful word here. In verses one through four, we're only told of one thing here that he did as a man. Purification for sins. It's not your job to purify your own sins. Jesus is God. We've been focusing on that. He's man. And he came to be man to say it's not up to you to make yourself worthy to come and draw near to me. I have done that. I, the one who made all things, the one that you Yes, have ignored, neglected, not paid attention to. But that's why I've come. So that you could be clean. So that all your unworthiness, all the reasons that you might say that I can't draw near to the Father, all those are gone. And he says, draw near. No matter how distant you feel, draw here let's pray our father we thank you that you are a god who has not stayed silent but you have spoken to us and you have spoken to us in the most incredibly unimaginable way that we could ever conceive on the person of Jesus, your son. I pray this morning that you would get our attention, each one of us. I pray this morning if we are drifting, if parts of us feel so far from you, that even in the midst of all the busyness and all that's happening in this holiday season, that we wouldn't allow that to prevent us from paying attention and drawing near once again to you. Fix our eyes, fix our hearts, root our souls and our lives once again on the person of Jesus and all that he has done for us. Fill us with wonder and awe at the greatness of this salvation that is ours in Him. And we pray in His name.